Hello and welcome to Counterculture. I'm Peter Whittlaw. Now, a few weeks ago, there was an announcement which seemed to be full of promise. It's from uh, Robert Jenrick, which was uh, about how uh, statues from now on were going to have some form of legal protection and indeed wouldn't just be at the mercy of, as he put it, the baying mob. So uh, that seems like a very, very good thing. Although at the same time, certain statues do still seem to be coming down or indeed a threat. Then there is the whole question also of our street names. And indeed, there is the question of the ongoing cultural assault, which is still going on. Uh, only but last week we heard, for example, that one university was going to downgrade the teaching of Geoffrey Chaucer uh, in favour of issues to do with gender, sexuality uh, and race. Uh, so in other words, uh, it is far from uh, over. Indeed, that might just be one battle that we're talking about. So joining me to discuss these things today, we have Richard Bingley, who is the General Secretary of Save Our Statues, Robert Pohl, who runs the Save Our Statues Twitter campaign, and Emma Webb, co-founder of Save Our Statues. Um, I want to start, if I can, with you, Robert. Um, this announcement that was made by the Minister for Housing and Communities, Robert Jenrick, this is a lot of, um, you know, it was very, very well received, it was uh, very welcomed, but can you just explain to us what exactly it actually means in practice? How will it actually be working? Yeah, this, uh, the new rules basically extend protection to all statues in England, of which are about 12,000. Um, so not just those that are currently listed, which is about three and a half thousand of them. Um, it will mean that all any proposals affecting these statues, including plaques and memorials, uh, will require some kind of planning permission, right. um, which also will therefore have to go through due process, including some kind of public consultation. Uh, so this is definitely uh, a welcome protection, if not a final answer that solves all all our problems necessarily, but it does certainly seem like a, a step in the right direction. Is it actually uh, is it actually in law already? How will it work? Well, it, it's not just a proposal, is it? It's just something that's going to be initiated when? They are saying it will be introduced in the spring or a march, I think, more specifically, was reported in one place yeah. um, by amending a few pieces of current legislation um, around the planning process. Uh, so, yeah, it should, it's not, not in quite yet, but should hopefully be coming in in time for some of the statues that are currently being looked at by right. councils, yeah. um, because their processes normally take um, a number of months anyway, uh, including consultations. So. Yeah, the timing-wise, we, we are expecting this to come in um, in in the next month or two. Uh, Richard, uh, Richard Bingley there, does this mean job done? Not really, uh, but although I would say it's, it's, it's ironic, isn't it? You try and get a green wheelie bin and it takes you months out of the council. You try and <laughs> save a statue from the government legislation sort of telling us that we can't remove them and, and the local councils move within days. And I'm just giving you an example of Exeter where... Um, you know, they, they pass a council motion at the front end of last week at the same time as the Secretary of State announces that statues are to remain. 
Uh, and, and before we know it, it's, I'm picking up local information from Exeter that that statute removal could be very, very soon. Um, so so I, I think it's, it's really great news, isn't it, that, that we're hearing from the national government, but actually the reality on the ground for the next few weeks are that left-wing councils that were planning to remove this stuff um, are actually accelerating their plans. So they kind of, is that right, they're sort of getting in before, as it were, this spring? Is that really what it seems like? Yeah, I think as well what we saw around um, the City of London as well, their attempt to try to remove the statues as quickly as possible, um, despite the fact that Historic England had actually contacted them about these two statues. I think they're, Rob, correct me if I'm wrong, that they're uh, in Guildhall. And they were contacted by Historic England. They didn't give a response. And they were basically told that, presumably, although this isn't currently in legislation, that this is the government's position and that they shouldn't be removing them because they're in a grade one listed building. They have to apply for planning permission and go through the whole process. And that was the the idea that um, Robert Jemrick had behind this, is that there should be due process. And I think, again, correct me if I'm wrong, that he, uh, under these new rules, would have the ability to step in and have the final say if there was a dispute between Historic England and these councils to make sure that they, that they can't remove these things. But I think that we could end up with a situation that even, obviously, it's been described as um, retain and explain. Uh, that that doesn't necessarily mean that the fight is over because as we've seen with some of the plaques that have been suggested uh, in in other places, particularly in Scotland, sometimes they are actually quite ideological and uh, ahistorical. So I think probably there's still going to be an uphill battle on that front. That, that, is, that, that is right to almost say this is battle number two, isn't it? I mean, if it's retain and explain, as Emma said, you know, it is... Um Basically, we're talking about these, you know, contextualising plaques, aren't we? That's what we're talking about. Rob? Yes, absolutely. Um, He's talked about, as Emma said, putting due process around the retain, but there is no mention of any process around the the explain. And um, in terms of making sure councils actually approach a balanced uh, view towards those engaging historians or or born people from across the spectrum there's nothing like that so that that definitely is a fight i think that we'll still have to still have to fight um the important thing is for now that hopefully hopefully no none will be moved if these rules are followed um and the retain and explain is applied um again yes like emma says the the idea is that Historic England will now have, they're basically compelled to object to any proposals to move them because retain and explain is their official policy. Mm. And yes, if uh, if the council then insists on going forward, um, the Secretary of State can intervene. So that does seem like good protections there. But um, around the, the plaques, we don't know. We need to we need to come up with some kind of way to to put some process around that. I think. I think at the, at the moment, uh, today, we're, we're actually recording this on the 25th of January. And uh, this is quite an important day, is it not? Because the people who tore down the Causton statue in Bristol have been in court, have they not, Robert? Yes, they were in uh, the magistrate's court today and pleaded not guilty. Oh. Which is quite unbelievable in itself. <laughs> not sure how, how they're doing that. But they, and they also opted for... A, a trial at the Crown Courts 
um, in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, so, yeah, we're still still to see what's going to happen here. Um, but it seems like they're prolonging the process really, and perhaps wasting more exactly public resources in we're doing so and taking the. Take Wasting a lot of money. What about the whole thing with street names, Richard? This is something, again, which exercises people so much. I mean, it's not just, you know, this is not covered by any of this, is it? I mean, can councils just sort of like, we've heard of, I think it was in Birmingham, came up with these sort of ideas for, what was it now? Inspiration Avenue and Humanity Close <laughs> and Diversity Lane, and uh, which all sound a bit like Beatles songs, but in fact, actually, you know, they are real suggestions. Um, you know, what power do people have over that, if any? Well, the the, the power rests with the council because um, if if there are new street names to be made, then then the council us usually sort of speaks to local historians um, and, and establishes, you know, what, what might be sort of the correct, correct context. So um, it, it, the problem has been occurring where we have current street names. Um, you know, I'm thinking Ealing, the, the Havelock Road or Havelock Street and down in Plymouth, um, the Sir John Hawkins Square, which, which, which has been well, it's not been renamed yet. They've just blanked out. They've just erased the name of the square. There's actually, a, you know, it's a blank square at the moment. And what's the proposal so, so, for um, that, Richard? Th those, the, the re proposal is to change it from Sir John Hawkins Square um, to Jack Leslie Square uh, after a third division football player back in the 1920s. So, so, so um, the, the changes have to occur under the Public Health Act of 1925. And, and there has to be a, some form of public consultation usually changes are made in very very extreme circumstances um we we do have a situation in devon where a road was named after uh, somebody who was subsequently convicted of, of pedophile offense and so therefore it, it, you know no one is contesting that that road name yes. change um but what we are picking up as a campaign across the country it, it, there's a lot of road name changes going on uh, that that one would say were historic historical references just being erased. You know, I'm sort of, you know Victoria Road, the sort of uh, Vi Vi Victory Road, uh, anything Imperial Colonial Roads, th those types of things. And and then of course, um, people such as Causton, Picton, Sir John Hawkins, uh, wh where their name is used in a road, um, are likely to face sort of being. Uh, erased over the next few years so so the public don't really have much consultation over this the, the, the council goes about deciding how they consult and then it's up to the public basically if they don't like it to take the council to the magistrates court which is expensive and it's usually found against members of the public and uh, quite recently uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg said that the, the one silver lining to this whole thing has been <laughs> that it's actually reminded us of the of the number of great heroes we've got I mean that is putting, shall we say, the ultimate positive spin on it, isn't it really? It's definitely putting more of a positive spin on it than I think it deserves. But it is definitely true that, like, the, I think this was the case with um, the statues in in the consultation over the statues in Guildhall. That I, th um, I think Rob has um, numbers on this, something like 71% of um, people were actually in favour of keeping them, yep. not removing them. Yep. And this, uh, the statue that Richard mentioned in Devon, that had 
was it more than 7,500 signatures to try and keep that statue? So what we know is that these statues are being removed and the street names are being re renamed against the public's wishes. And it, it is true, Jacob Rees-Mogg is, is right, it is true that I think this has become a rallying point for people um, because they, they, they feel very strongly about this and obviously they want to protect um, their heritage, but I, I think it would be going too far to say that it's exactly a silver lining because people shouldn't have to defend these things. They shouldn't be under threat in the first place and the council should never have been in a position where they could just bypass due process and do things, mm. even when there is due process in place, just ignore it, mm. um, which is why the stuff that Rob has been doing is so good with the um, petitions to, to give people that platform and that voice. And I, I think what um, has been suggested by Robert Jemrek and also Oliver Dowd and the culture secretaries on side um, to give people a voice on these subjects. I think that, that that's something that should be built into the process and it shouldn't be possible to ignore it. This has does have implications. If it you know if it's coming in in the spring, it certainly has implications, doesn't it, for all these, I think, 130 council reviews that were going on, not least of all in London, actually. I mean, I, you know, my old friend uh, Sadiq Khan, I mean, <laughs> you know, essentially, presumably, that's his plan in tatters, is it not? Richard? Well, um, no, I, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I just feel that, that all, I'm, I'm really supportive of what Robert Jemrick's trying to do. Um, the, the problem is now that we've this is now internecine cultural warfare. So it seems to me that when we have the political tide of maybe a conservative government at the centre and Labour councils running the cities, that the Labour councils spend their time in the cities trying to remove all this stuff and then going to the courts of appeal because they disagree with the Secretary of State. And and, and then you're going to see the flip side. You know, if, if Labour win uh, and Sadiq Khan is, is re-elected as mayor, that the conservative councils sort of come back into power and, and they try and build more statues or they try and, re, you know, um, retain what they've got. And the Labour Secretary of State, you know, is deciding on the calling. And, and they're the ones that are deciding ultimately what statues remain, what statues go. I think we've got to get beyond this. It comes back to the education system, teaching our history confidently. It comes back to knowing our human rights and civil rights better. Uh, it, com it comes back to adults speaking more confidently to their children about um, Britain's history, uh, most of it good, but warts and all. Um, and it comes back to, I, I, you know, the public sector doing things like having a British flag and, and pictures of prominent British personalities throughout history in town halls, you know, in schools. Mm. At the moment, we are completely agnostic as a country around our values and history. And that is why we're in the mess we're in today. I, I, I would agree with that. I, I think that the problem is that, for example, if you say we should have flags and, and pictures of people in school. I couldn't agree more with you on that. I couldn't agree more. But you've got the teaching people, haven't you? They're not going to just sort of like say, yeah, sure, we'll put up a picture of the Queen. I mean, you know, the idea is just almost inconceivable now, isn't it? Yeah, I think part of the problem, and, and Richard has alluded to this, is that because the Conservative government has had no option but to step in on this because mm. it's such an outrageous situation, the left, who created the problem in the first place, 
have seen this as an opportunity yeah. to politicise our heritage. So in, in the politicisation of our heritage, they've actually won the biggest victory because this is going to continue to be a politicised issue around things that really should be outside of that sphere and untouchable in, in that respect. Um, and I think that's why we've ended up with situations like um, the suggestion from the head of the Runnymede Trust that the culture wars is just some made-up thing that it's the Tory party that are trying to stir up their base in this culture war and with all of these culture warriors and that somehow it's in their benefit as if it was them that would originally been toppling the statues and graffitiing things and wanting to remove street names even though it's completely absurd and basically a conspiracy theory um, and it's becoming something that is almost accepted on in the left we saw David Olasoga he, he wrote an article for The Guardian suggesting the same thing um, they're flipping it as mm. to suggest that actually it's the defenders of our heritage that are the ones with the reductive the ahistorical um, approach approach to our history um, and so in that sense I think that that's a much more profound battle that is gonna go on for decades and and is much more difficult to win than simply saving a couple of statues here and there because as Richard says you know when when with the cha changes in the political environment and a new government coming in um, they've already laid the groundwork for this to become a sort of flashpoint issue yes I think as well you know that I, I think that the time is coming where you know save our statues will have to be slightly wider in its remit. I mean, I, I, you know, there is there is no getting away from it. It's been absolutely, you know, vital the to concentrate on statues. But I think that it's it's an across the board thing. Um, Rob, did you see uh, our uh, you know our friend Chaucer was uh, about to be cancelled in the University of Leicester, for example? I mean, we're going back to education here, but uh, apparently, you know to be replaced or to be downgraded and replaced by uh, more issues uh, along the lines of gender, uh, uh, sexuality, race, etc. Uh, this is pretty much par for the course now, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, it was very sad to see, uh, but not perhaps surprising, I think, from Leicester as well, which is becoming a notoriously woke university. It's the same English department has the professor who wrote about the green unpleasant land suggesting that gardening right. is racist yes. and who um, was responsible for the national trust reports and into the stately homes um, and um, slurring people like uh, churchill so it's it's it, it's coming down to the same people there who are becoming ever more prominent um, and having more influence but uh, yes i think for chaucer in particular it's very sad um I have a, an English degree as well, and when I when I studied it um, at Oxford, doing um, Old and Middle English was actually compulsory. So, I, and I, I look back at it really with some kind of uh, gratefully, I think that we had that opportunity to learn it and understand the origins of our our written our literary culture, mm. uh, which is now going to be taken away, I think, from these people, even as an option to do it. Uh, which, yeah, is very sad. Yes. They also get things spectacularly wrong, don't they? I mean, some of the universities, there's, there, there's a story, isn't there, for me, is, is it Scotland? Of the University of York. Yes, the monkeys. University of York. Yeah, so the, um, <laughs> the, the famous hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil monkeys that the come from... Monk, yeah, monkeys. they come from um, 
17th century Japanese culture and then obviously became very popular after that around the world and uh, the University of York were putting on an I think it was an art history conference and some of the promotional material used the and it was to do with the census and it had some silly name something about orality and orality and um of the sort of stuff that you would imagine from a, a woke conference. And they used uh, the, this, the picture of these monkeys as part of their promotional, um, promotional literature to advertise the conference. Uh, and then the uh, people who had organized it, the academics, came out with this strange struggle session apology that actually the monkeys were racist um, or could be viewed as racist, and so they, they apologised for having used them. Um, and many people have pointed out that actually it's quite racist of them to look at some monkeys and think Absolutely. black people uh, <laughs> might be offended by this because they are just 17th century Japanese monkeys after yes, all. Yes. Um, and if anything, it's actually quite offensive to Japanese culture to suggest that their traditional um, art of these monkeys is somehow offensive to I think they said uh, the black ethnic minority indigenous but now in this country we use indigenous to mean presumably not indigenous they um, they obviously have taken the phrase over from the American mm. um, woke context on this uh, so it's it's something more sinister than just getting it spectacularly wrong um, but I actually got a quote here uh, that's worth reading out uh, because it's it reads like um, like a religious creed, like something yes. that you might, in a cult, something that, you know, you, you might say as a, as a way of sort of ask your confession. Um, the, the academics said, we bring this to your attention so that we may be held accountable for our actions and in our privileges do and be better. <gasps> Very strange. <laughs> so <laughs> Very this is strange. almost like the washing of feet, isn't it, Richard? I mean, this is like, uh, as I said, this is... Well, actually, the whole idea of woke, indeed, which is about I am, I am awake, you know, I am renewed. Well, I, I mean, it's stronger than that, isn't it? Because it is, it's almost a, a self-loathing, you know, it's, it's a dismantlement of mm. one's own confidence, uh, one's family's heritage. It's, it's very sad to watch. I, I mean, I, I'll just sort of pick up on the Leicester case uh, in more commercial terms, you know, because I worked in universities for, for a few years uh, as, a, as a lecturer and, and Universities are businesses. Leicester has 20,000 students, has a very strong brand because, of course, it, it had the foremost genetics department. And, and uh, one of its academics, Sir Alec Jeffries, um, founded digital um, forensics. Sorry, not digital forensics, but forensics uh, and, and basically digital fingerprinting and the rest of it. You know, it's a massive expert on 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 uh, chromosomes and sort of tracing people's genetics back. And then, you know, for 30 years, the police have been able to get evidence on the back of that. So Leicester, in terms of law enforcement and the security world, has has a terrific reputation. Um, but I, I don't think it's helpful for them if, if there if if there are media stories going around the world that they're literally erasing the best aspects of of, of english history that, that that is going to reduce their student numbers especially when students are paying nine thousand pounds per year to basically be taught online at the moment because of covid restrictions i'm interested to see in three years time what the student numbers will be at leicester university i think it'll be like the bbc these organizations that push an unpleasant self-loathing agenda will lose their customers and their customers will eventually, when they're stopped for, forcibly being 
customers, you know, like with the BBC license fee, they will just walk away to other alternative credible organizations. And there's 130 universities in the UK. If Leicester want to do that, then I'm not going to condemn it. It's up to them. But I think others will benefit from their lack of confidence in British history and, and the brand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think Richard has picked up on a really important point here because the vice chancellor of the university who has said that the reason why they're doing this so they're not actually it's not just uh, it's not just Beowulf which horrific that they would get rid of it, probably the first piece of what you might call multicultural English literature mm -hmm. um, because of its connections to the Danish ancestors of the people who came to uh, to, to Britain. Um, they're not just getting rid of the early medieval stuff like Sir Gawain and the Green Knight and Chaucer. They're also looking at, at, at reducing the number of, um, of course content, let's say, on uh, people like John Milton, Christopher Marlowe, John Donne. They're basically tearing out the foundations of the English language and preventing students from having any ability to understand the point of even studying English literature in the first place. But the thing that is so interesting is that in doing that, it's not just that they're doing it because they're trying to decolonize the curriculum. It's also because um, the vice chancellor thinks that this is in their commercial interests. He thinks that this is going to help the university become a global player and attract attract more students and climb its way up the rankings. So it just sort of goes to show that it's the same as, as with the, the, the big tech and a lot of the considerations mm. there that they are taking, the as they perceive it, the market into consideration. And they actually think that this is something that is going to be in their overall benefit financially long term. And I think the fact that they think that there are market forces that are pushing them in this direction is very worrying because it gives them so much, many more incentives other than just the cultural pressure to just keep purging. But there is this kind of alliance, is there not, say Robert? There's this kind of alliance, isn't there, between actually whether it's a university or a company, you know, even, and, uh, and their commercial interests and wokeness. You know, that there is this sort of strange, that it's used, isn't it? It's actually kind of, wokeness is used either as a PR me uh, you know, a method or indeed it's sort of, as you say, as a way of attracting uh, trade and commerce. Yes, I think it shows how wrong uh, the University of Leicester's got it. Uh, and we've seen the same in other institutions where they speak amongst themselves to like-minded people uh, who are now seem to be infiltrating lots of their our public institutions and, and think that they are somehow representing the future but when it comes down to exposure to the real markets and commercial the commercialism of that um, it's very different so like Richard was saying we we have seen the reality for Leicester is that num student numbers have fallen year on year over the last few years uh, they have gone from making a profit to making a loss and they have fallen from 17th to 77th in the university rankings so it certainly doesn't seem to be paying dividends mm. for them and mm. that's the reality i think when um yeah when commercialism yes. actually strikes hits home i know that this is a time where we should sort of be you know to an extent celebrating with the announcement of protection for statues and it seems that we're pouring on the agony a bit but i i do see that this is an ongoing absolute ongoing battle uh richard uh the Prime Minister recently said there's nothing wrong in being woke. Um, <laughs> uh, is he right? 
I didn't see what he said. At, he said the there's exact... nothing wrong with being woke. No. People were talking about Biden being very woke. And he said, uh, well, there's nothing wrong in being woke. Well, you, you can't blame him. He's got to win an election. Uh, we, we can say different things, but he, he does sometimes have to say these kind of David Cameron, you know, hug or hoodie type things. That's what any leader has to do. Uh, I, I think, you know, when you scroll back to saving statues and public realm, uh, at least we've got a prime minister and a home secretary and a community secretary uh, that have not just spoken out against violence last year and the bang mob, but they've done something about it. And I, I, I'm personally mm -hmm. very grateful for that. Um, really looking forward to the legislation coming through and we just need to keep up the fight in the interim and then take it from there as a group. Have you got anything to add to that? Yeah, I think I imagine probably his comments were coming from a foreign policy considerations. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was being quite literally diplomatic. I think um, he, obviously there are tensions that already exist with Biden being an Irish and all that. Um, and so we don't want to give him any excuses to be more difficult than, uh, than he needs to be. Um, but that said, you know, there are lots of reasons why we could have criticised um, Boris over the last couple of months, you know, when Churchill was being boarded up and he was silent and that somewhat undermined his own sort of Churchillian credibility in the way that he presents himself. Um, but I think Richard is right that we are um, astronomically lucky to have a culture secretary and a community secretary who has common sense and guts mm. um, enough to stand up um, to, to this kind of nonsense. And in the grand scheme of things saying, it's okay for for people to be woke it doesn't really have any implications and you, you know it's important for people to have free speech and freedom of conscience and if they are woke they are woke so strictly speaking it is okay to be woke we just personally happen to disagree with that um and we'll fight them tooth and nail on their attacks <laughs> on our statues yeah. well actually <laughs> where we're talking about you know and I, you mentioned church it's interesting churchill has become this absolute sort of emblem of this whole thing in a way. And it, in fact, we had recently, with, with uh, Biden taking over, now the Churchill bust has now gone out of the White House again. You know, uh, it was taken out by the last Democrat, Obama, and then it was brought back and now it's taken out. And so it's sort of like this it's an odd thing that's been going on. However, that's by way of saying, and a very nice segue into uh, my, my final remarks here, which is that, uh, we actually have our own bust here of church. This is, here, I'm going to show you. This is beautiful. This, this little creature, uh, <laughs> this is in fact uh, a copy of the bust of Churchill by Oscar Neiman, which is down at Chartwell, one of the most fascinating uh, houses in Britain, Churchill's home. Um, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a beauty. It's a, it's, a, it's a lovely copy given to me actually recently, for my 60th birthday, for, uh, by uh, Rafe Hadelmancou. Now, you know, Rafe is always usually on this sofa here. Um, and I know a lot of people have been saying, well, where's Rafe these days? And, and that's because, um, unfortunately, Rafe is having to deal with a family illness at the moment. He will be back. Uh, he's not here in person, but he's here in spirit in, in, in this one. <laughs> so uh, so uh, I hope everything goes well soon, Rafe. Thank you very much, Emma. Uh, thank you, Richard. Thank you, Robert, for that. And uh, we shall see you next time. And please don't forget to subscribe, will you? Thank you. Bye-bye.